So back in Isaiah uh, chapter 9. Two things I want to say about this as we start. The first is, this is a birth announcement. Uh, Most birth announcements go out pretty soon after a baby has been born. Sometimes they go out a little bit uh, later, depending on how organized the parents are, depending on how much sleep uh, they have had. Usually you're told the baby's been born, their weight, their name, all of that kind of stuff. Mother and baby are doing well, or these are some things we are a little bit concerned about. This birth announcement is different. This birth announcement is sent before the baby is born. A long time before the baby is born. 700 years before the baby is born. The prophet Isaiah delivered it to the people of Israel when they were facing a great threat. The growing superpower of Assyria is rising. They will eventually invade and destroy the kingdom. Many of the people who hear this message will be led into captivity. And God wants to encourage them. God wants to sustain them. God wants to give them a hope for the future. And he does this by telling them of the promise of a coming king. He tells them of a baby that is to be born. 700-year delay was not because God was unable to fulfill his promise sooner, but because the babe will be sent forth in the fullness of time, at the right time. And before that time came, God wanted his people to have hope. Second thing about this is this baby has four names, or four descriptions, really. Most babies have just one name on their birth announcement, perhaps uh, two, uh, but seldom four. His name should be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. One name wasn't sufficient for this special child. Moreover, these names tell us what this baby will do. These names tell us who this baby will be. Imagine reading a birth announcement and it says, yeah, we've had this baby, he's seven pounds, his name is Jack, and he's going to be a fantastic violin player, he'll be a marathon runner, he will get a first, he will go to Oxford, and then he will find a cure for... You wouldn't imagine that. You wouldn't have the confidence to put those things on the birth announcement. But God the Father knows who God the Son is, and he knows exactly what God the Son will do. And he wants his people to know what his Son will do. So these names are descriptors of the person of Jesus. This baby is different, this baby is special. He will be a wonderful counsellor, which means that he'll be a supernatural source of extraordinary wisdom, which is good news for those of us who need guidance. He'll be mighty God, which means that Jesus will be divinely strong and powerful, which is good news for those of us who are weak and fearful. He'll be an everlasting father, which means that Jesus will care for his people forever as a father cares for his children. 
which is good news for those of us who feel alone and underappreciated. He'll be the Prince of Peace, which means that Jesus will bring healing and a deep sense of well-being, which is good news for those of us who lack peace with one another or peace in our hearts or peace with God. Go look at each of these four names in turn. Think about how they apply to Jesus and what they mean for us today. First of all, he will be a wonderful counsellor. The Hebrew there could be translated a wonder of a counsellor. And a counsellor in its historical usage has a particular meaning. It means one who gives counsel, one who dispenses wisdom, one who advises. Micah declared, the prophet Micah declared to the Jewish captives in Babylon, Why do you cry aloud? Is there no king in your midst? Has your counsellor perished? And of course there was no physical king in their midst and their counsellor, their advisor, their king had perished. And so they cried because they had no one to whom they could turn for wisdom. Long before this child was born, long before the son was given, Isaiah foretells that God will send forth a wonderful counsellor. Someone who can advise and give wisdom to those who are confused, to those who are seeking direction, to those who don't know what to do, they don't know which way to turn. And so you would expect to see this wonderful counsel in the life of Jesus if he is truly the child foretold. And so in the Gospels we read that at the age of 12, Jesus is in the temple courts and the rabbis are astounded at his wisdom. Luke tells us that the child grew and became strong in spirit and he was filled with wisdom and the grace of God was upon him. In his public life, people were amazed at his wise counsel. When he'd come to his own country, he taught them in the synagogue so that they were astonished and said, where did this man get this wisdom and these mighty works? It's Matthew chapter 13. Later, the Apostle Paul wrote that in him are all the treasures and wisdom of God. People were amazed at his wisdom. He taught us one with authority and one with power. He confounded the wise men of his day. The scribes and the Pharisees could not compare with him. They could not stand in his presence. I wonder, are we astonished enough at his wisdom do we wonder at his counsel are we as amazed as the scribes and the pharisees and the teachers of the law in jesus's day were at his teaching or have we become too familiar a bit laissez-faire a bit too used to being in his presence What's the importance of the name Wonderful Counselor to us today? 
Well, it means that Jesus is the fulfillment of all that the Old and the New Testament teach. That his counsel is found wherever we find the wisdom and provisions of God. The Old Testament is his story. The Gospels are his revelation. The letters of the New Testament are the application of his teaching. We have a wonderful counsellor. We have a wonderful advisor, one who longs to give us his wisdom and his truth and his grace and his insight. One who wants to lead us to places of security and uh, satisfaction. One who wants to relieve us of our anxieties and our uncertainties. James 1 verse 5. If any of you lack wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault and it will be given to you. To God who gives generously to all without finding fault. God is not stingy in giving his wisdom. He won't accuse you or embarrass you of asking the wrong question or uh, assume that you should know better. God knows us better than we know ourselves. He knows the troubles and the trials that we face, the choices that we have to make, and he longs to dispense his wisdom to us. He has given us a wonderful counsellor in the person of Christ. We just need to seek his wisdom in his word and through prayer. Come into his presence and ask him to guide us. If any of you lack wisdom, ask God who gives generously to all, and it will be given to you. Jesus is a wonderful counsellor. Do you need his counsel, his advice, his guidance this morning? Mighty God. Jesus showed himself to be the incarnation of the mighty God, the maker of heaven and earth throughout his earthly life. Time and again, he demonstrated his might and his power. We see his power over nature in the calming of the storm. His power over disease in healing the blind man and the lame man and the paralyzed man and uh, the woman with an issue of blood. Jesus is the healer. He has power over disease. He has a power over evil and the demonic realm. Time and again, he, we see him uh, delivering people from uh, satanic powers. Think of uh, Legion, the man oppressed in so many ways, he cannot number them. And Jesus uh, delivers him from all that oppresses him. We see his power over sin to the uh, paralytic. He says, your, your sins are forgiven, rise up and walk. We see his power over death. The the raising of those who have died, the calling forth of Lazarus, and of course, uh, the power over his own death as he lays down his life and takes it up again three days later. Jesus is the mighty God, the human face of the mighty God, the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. And where do we see his might most clearly, most perfectly? in a manger and upon a cross. 
We see his strength most perfectly and most fully in his weakness. We see the mighty God in the womb of a young virgin mother. See his presence in the carpenter's shop. See his might and his strength in the garden of Gethsemane as he cries tears as he prays. His might displayed to the world when he is high and lifted up upon a cross with a mocking sign above his head. And we see his might in an empty tomb when he proclaims, I am the resurrection and the life. J.B. Figgis, in an old book written in 1885, a book called Emmanuel, writes this. Jesus does not seem to have possessed so much as the smallest coin. When he died, he had no means of providing for his mother and could only commend her to one of his disciples. Yet his life was infinitely superior to all others. Infinitely superior because he is the mighty God. The mighty God in our midst, the light shining in the darkness, and his strength is displayed most perfectly in weakness and vulnerability. What does it mean for us this morning that Jesus is the mighty God? It means lots of things, but one thing it means is that he is the secret of our resilience. The Apostle Paul, in jail, wrote these words. I can do all things, or it could even be translated, I can endure all things through Christ who strengthens me, or could be translated, who is my strength. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, or I can endure all things through Christ who is my strength. The, the secret is the same, the answer is the same, resilience. The ability to stand, to endure, to keep on going, to persevere. And that resilience is found not within us, but within him. And it's found not plugging on on our own, but resting in him, abiding in him, dwelling in him, inviting him to dwell in us. What a great promise. He will strengthen us. He will literally be our strength in all the inevitabilities and the uncertainties of life. We may know pain. We may know hardship. We may know disappointment, but we can endure. And more than endure, we can triumph. For he is the resurrection and the life. He is our strength, and he has conquered all. He is the mighty God, and his might is displayed in weakness and humility. And it's shown most perfectly in our weakness and in our humility. His treasure is displayed in jars of clay. He's a wonderful counsellor. Do you need his counsel this morning? Do you need his wisdom? He's a mighty God. Do you need his strength to endure today? 
and he is an everlasting father. A strange title for God the Son. Let's not get the persons of the Trinity uh, confused. Uh, They are distinct. Everlasting Father could literally be translated Father of Eternity or could even be Source of Eternal Life. I think the word eternity can sometimes be frightening. Kind of conjures up for me notions of a kind of emptiness, a great void going on forever. But Jesus spoke about eternity with authority and conviction. He himself said that he would be the source of eternal life for his people. And he meant a life that would go on forever. A life of joy, a life of peace, a life of rest, a life of intimacy with God. And the cost of it would be his own self-giving of his life. And the certainty of it would be the resurrection. I looked up in my concordance uh, the phrase everlasting and uh, chose. There's loads of verses that talk about God being everlasting. I just picked out a few uh, this morning for us uh, that speak of the everlasting God. And I think they're helpful for us as we think of Jesus, who is the father of everlasting life or the father of eternity. From Deuteronomy, he has the strength of everlasting arms. From Thessalonians, he ministers with an everlasting consolation. From Timothy, he is working with an everlasting power. From Peter, he rules over an everlasting kingdom. From Matthew, he maintains an everlasting presence. From John, he gives a life which is everlasting. At some time, every earthly father will leave us, but Christ never will. At some time, every earthly father will disappoint us, but Christ never will. I will never leave you nor forsake you, says the Lord everlasting. Do you need the assurance of his everlasting presence this morning? The child will be the prince of peace. In Hebrew, the phrase is Shah Shalom, which means the one who secures peace, the one who attains peace, the one who wins peace. And the name Prince of Peace, it helps us to understand quite why some were so disappointed in Jesus when he walked this earth. Not everyone followed him, not everyone became his disciple any more than they do today. And some were deeply disappointed in his mission. They did not want a peaceful prince. They wanted a victorious king. They wanted a warrior who would deliver them. They wanted a monarch who would destroy their foes, lead their armies to victory, vanquish Rome. They wanted someone who would restore the glory days of Israel, take them back to the realm of Solomon. 
They wanted Rome and all the other oppressors taken away. And Jesus comes as the Prince of Peace. And he rides into Jerusalem upon a donkey. He doesn't lift a finger against Rome. He signs no international peace treaties. What does it mean for him to be the Prince of Peace? From Colossians. The fullness of God dwelt within him. And through him God reconciled to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed upon the cross. Once you were alienated from God, you were his enemy, but now you have been brought near. The Prince of Peace secures a different kind of peace. Peace between a people who are at enmity with God and the God who loves them and gives his son up for them. He can bring peace. He can bring peace with God and he can bring peace in the midst of our trials. What did the risen Christ say to his followers? My peace I give you, my peace I leave with you. Not as the world gives. He goes on to say, do not let your heart be troubled and do not be afraid. This is the peace that the Prince of Peace gives. You can bring peace into life's relationships. We're urged as churches in the New Testament to maintain the bond of peace, a bond which he establishes between those who follow him. Peace in life's witness. The fruit of his spirit in our lives is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. He is the prince of peace. Due to rediscover his peace this morning. Wonderful counsellor. Mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. These names belong only to God. And yet Isaiah's people are promised that a child will be born who will bear these names. And Isaiah was right, God did deliver upon his promise. Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us, was born 700 years later. He fulfilled every promise announced in his birth announcement. God came among us in the person of Jesus. We worship him today. He took on flesh to give us wisdom and protection and fatherly care and peace. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. Of the greatness of his government and of peace, there will be no end. I found these words particularly encouraging this week as I thought about this passage. And the government will be upon his shoulders. His government, his rule, his reign will depend, will rest upon his shoulders. 
Everything of eternal worth, everything of eternal value, everything that truly counts will be determined by him and rest upon him. Which means it's not on my shoulders or the PCC's shoulders or St. Giles's shoulders or churches together in West Bridgeford's shoulders but is upon his shoulders. And he can bear the weight for he's a wonderful counsellor, a mighty God, an everlasting father, the Prince of Peace. Let's pray and then the band will lead us in worship again. So, Father, there is nothing much more to say. We pray that we would behold your glory. I pray that we would come to you in penitence and faith and trust afresh in you. And Lord, we pray that we would discover afresh for ourselves and those uh, we share you with your wisdom, your strength, your love and your peace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.